Compels me. <laughs> Your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> Yay! Happy possession, everyone. Yes, we're going to be talking about exorcisms. I don't, I don't know whether anyone's actually said that in an exorcism that your mum sucks cocks in hell, but it's a pretty good line. I mean, one of the ones that I looked at, uh, <laughs> like there's a transcript of some of the stuff that the demon apparently said, and it's not that good, but it still quite entertained me. Um, but no, I think that that it's quite the line for a demon to hit out with. Yeah, one of the possessed, the head exorcist of the Vatican, who is now deceased, but he um, said that one of them started to just basically tell him all of the sins that he'd committed in his past. Like, how would they know? But you know, he could look up stuff. I don't know. I'm I, said, but I feel it. like that would be like entertaining and embarrassing if somebody started like... <laughs> If a demon started listing off to me all the shit stuff I'd done, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> like, lols, but also shit <laughs> people here. <laughs> guy was at this point, he was like nine, in his 90s, I think. He was about 91 or two. And yeah, this, this the demonic, supposed demonic possessed woman just started spitting out all the the heinous sins that he'd committed. I mean, I don't think, I don't know. He seems like, quite, I mean, we didn't the time you're 92, had... do you? I feel yeah, like if you were 92 and a demon was like, mind that time you got fucked in the bin, you'd be like, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Memories. Maybe to a priest it's different, but like, I don't think he's sinned that much. It couldn't have been that bad because from reading about this guy, he seems pretty sound to me. Like, he's actually quite a good person, even though he believes in demons and but Jesus, I would say, was probably pretty mad as well, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on exorcisms in general? Um, the religious side of things at uni, did that ever come up? Not really at no, all, no. I think it's, kind of, it's not really a thing that's actually... Well, I'm saying it's not really a thing that's... I mean, obviously it is a thing that's believed by... I think it's a thing that's believed by lots of uneducated christians in fairly isolated christian communities that don't understand mental health issues or like you know brain health issues i think like quite a lot of people who are i i think yeah quite a lot of people who are apparently in need of exorcism are actually just people who are not being given good medical treatment or looked after properly by their family some psychiatrist. Which is a bleak way to start this episode off. Well, well no, he's already, here's an even bleaker way to start off the episode, right? So I was thinking, you know, like when people think of exorcisms, I think of like the film The Exorcist, but it's also associated with mostly with the Catholic Church. You think of like priests and the power of Christ and all that. But I've come across like an article in the BBC news and it's very recent. It is 17th of January 2020 and the headline is in Panama, 
Seven people found dead after suspected exorcism. But it's I mean, not like I a... think it went that well if you killed them, did it? <laughs> so what it said is that the bodies of seven people were found in a mass grave in an indigenous area of Panama where members of a religious sect were believed to be performing exorcisms. I don't really know what the exorcism ritual entailed, but it doesn't sound good. The victims included a pregnant woman, 32, and five of her children, aged oh 1 to 11. Yeah, and the sixth was a neighbour who was 17. 15 other people were freed, and 10 people were arrested on suspicion of murder. Uh, the suspects and all victims were thought to belong to the... Now, I, I don't know how you pronounce this, but it looks like Nagubi Bugli Indigenous Community. The grave was discovered after three villagers escaped and made their way to a local hospital, <laughs> uh, Prosecutor Raphael Beloy said. They then alerted authorities about several families being held by an indigenous-run sect. They were performing a ritual inside the structure. It was located in the jungle region in northwest Panama, uh, 155 miles from the capital of Panama City. There were people being held against their will, being mistreated. All these rites were aimed at killing them if they didn't repent their sins. Kind of defeats the purpose of an exorcism. I'm also like quite confused that it's saying <laughs> that it's like an indigenous tribe with indigenous beliefs, but then all the language is very Christian again. And yeah, obviously, that, like Panama's an area of the world where most people would be like Catholic or part of a Christian sect, so... Well, the religious sect was called the New Light of God, which was believed to have been operating in the region for about three months. I mean, that doesn't um, sound I mean, very indigenous to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't really get it. I mean, I don't know whether it's like a sort of subset, like based on Christianity. It's just someone took it and went mental, made it, or like a cult sort of thing. Who knows? But it said that they, they were being held against their will. Oh, yeah, inside the makeshift, makeshift church. Officers found a naked woman, machetes, knives, and a ritually sacrificed goat. No. <laughs> said that the kidnapping and torture started on a Saturday after one of the members claimed to have received a message from God, in quotes. The victims were then kidnapped from their homes, beaten, and killed. The suspects, who include a minor expected to appear in court, this is like last year, uh, one of them is the father of the pregnant woman found in the grave, and the rescued had bodily injuries and reportedly included at least two pregnant... Why? What? What? I think that's quite just... common as well, though, isn't it? Like, it's, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week. Like, I think lots of exorcisms tend to be directed at young women who live in very, again, like, mostly Christian religious communities and don't do what they're told. And the idea is, like, if you don't want to bow down to straight cisgender man, then you obviously have a demon living within you and have to be killed. But see, that's, that's really irresponsible, whereas at least the, the, the Catholic Church, they have strict rules on whether to conduct an exorcist or not. And, and it just consists of basically putting your hand on their head and reciting different prayers and phrases and things to sort of repel the demons from the possessed person but before they actually commit to doing the exorcist they have to consult medical practitioners and doctors and they also need to determine whether it is a gen where they believe it's a genuine possession or not or whether it's just someone who's psychologically disturbed so they're not going around forcing exorcisms on people because they read harry potter i did notice which again goes back to what we were talking about last week like the two exorcisms <laughs> that i've looked at one of them was carried out by the catholic church mm. and seems 
fine in the grand scheme of things. Again, I'd say they weren't really focusing on what the actual issue was. But and then the other one, yeah, was um, conducted by I think it was Lutherans, and it's absolutely batshit fucking mental. So are they the Protestants? <laughs> yeah, they're a branch the Protestants of Protestants. Are again? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to all our Protestant listeners. Hi. I'm an unbeliever and I'm starting to feel like I should convert to Catholicism now. <laughs> Just because you're less likely to randomly murder someone. No, it's weird because all this stuff keeps coming up. Like last night I was sitting 10 o'clock, half 10 and I just happened to switch over to BBC Four and there was like a programme about, on it was like a documentary about Benedictine monks. Oh. And it was so relaxing. It was basically, it was called a meditation on a monastery and I think it was the second episode in, in part three and it was a monastery and you just watch some monks go about their day, like making their own clothes, tending to their bees. They don't talk. The only time they actually say anything is during like dinner where one guy just says t- to remind them to keep their mouth shut. It's like, how are you supposed to eat then if you're going to keep your mouth shut? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. And then you hear them at the end doing a Gregorian chant and then that's it. They have to take a vow of silence the rest of the day. And I thought, it's actually a really peaceful life that they lead yeah, it seems a bit like boring. Nice when you think, but when you're a heathen, a bit of a pleasure-seeking person like myself, you kind of think, oh, but they're not having any fun. But then in their minds, they're just, they're very relaxed and they're just dead. Like every kind of task, like that might be laborious or monotonous to them is like meditation and prayer. And I found it really, I actually found it quite appealing. I feel like you've sold it to me quite well. I'm like, do I want to quit work and go be a Benedictine monk? Yeah. Looked great. I mean, you just sit like there was one point the guy was walking through fields and then he just seen a bench and it looked beautiful, like the surroundings. And he just had a wee sit down and it was just like he was just sitting there listening to the birds, just just being there, just being there. Like, oh, he said something like, "It's possible to be in a busy crowd but still be solitary in your mind, or be solitary and be crowded with one's thoughts." I thought, hmm, that's true. That's, yeah. You think about it. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm that side of things. But then again, there are some, there are monks that make buckfast. I don't know if that's a good thing. But then they don't make it for the purposes that we use it. They make it for. They know fine well that bams are drinking it. Come on. <laughs> they know. They know that's their that's their livelihood. <laughs> they don't give a shit. Someone asked them about it. They don't care. They don't. But they know that it's being used. Primarily yeah. by bams and nets. <laughs> but then what else? I wonder what they do with the money because they're monks, so it's not like they're going out buying themselves flashy cars or anything. Like, I wonder where all the money goes. To the Vatican, I guess. I don't know. Or the. But then the current pope called like anti-wealth origin. So he said like you've not to hold wealth, you've not to hoard gold, you've to give it all to the poor. So. But the Catholic Church used to be like pre-Henry VIII times before he went mental and decided to cut down all the monasteries because he realised how wealthy they were. And the excuse was he wanted to marry his, like, bitch Anne Boleyn because she was pregnant already. And uh, <laughs> so the monasteries actually had shitloads of money. They they had all the power. They owned loads of farm lands. They, they leased it out to tenants. They traded wool and lots of different merchandise to merchants around the world. They had shitloads of wealth. And obviously, like, yeah, Henry like, realised that and went, no, I'm having all that wealth. That belongs to me now. Was so, it probably the, I want to say, 14th, who was in power just before Henry VIII was in power here? I don't know. That was, yeah, that basically, I mean, this, this is not direct quotes, but pretty much was like, 
why the fuck are we giving all this money to the poor? Like, this is a big money-making industry. And then yeah. Yeah, that's when you started to get all the greed in the Catholic Church and why there's so much stuff that the current Pope's getting stripped down that's like walls made of gold and stuff because he was just like, I've taken so much money off of poor people, don't even know what the fuck to do with it. I'm just going to cover my wall in gold. Yeah. But he was also an evil bastard, clearly. Anyone who hoards money See, is See, I like bastard. that about Pope Francis, is that he seems quite humble and he refuses to wear, like, gold stuff. And yeah. He, he's... <sighs> I mean, it's not like he's giving away all the wealth of the Vatican. I think if he tried to do that, they would probably try and take him down. But he is and he isn't. Like he's not mm. giving all of it away because obviously, like yeah, as you say, quite a lot of the cardinals would stand against that. But he's been like literally stripping gold off the wall, not himself. He's not got a paint stripper. Yeah. But he's been having them like strip gold off the walls, strip jewels off the walls, like give them to the poor, give the money to like yeah, charities like and give the money to orphanages and. And the monasteries kind of did that back then in the days like Tudor times they would make money and they would give it back to their tenants who farmed the land but they would also use that for their parish to help people who need medicine and things so but then like you said that Pope just ended up shafting the poor people and boarding it all for himself yeah I'm and sure a lot it was Leo the 14th. It was one of the Leos. He looks like like an anorexic Santa in all his paintings. If that helps the listeners. <laughs> He's the that looks like anorexic Santa. Wasn't there a lot of corruption in the church, Catholic Church at that point anyway, where you end up with the Borgias, where he's yeah. got like mistresses and they all fucking like fuck whores and have like, yeah. I can't remember which way round it went. I think I'm right in saying that did Leo the 14th lead into the Borgias taking mm. power? And then as you say, like they, I mean, they didn't follow any of the rules. They were like... No not into this celibacy thing i'll just fuck everyone and also give me all the gold thanks yeah he was he treated it more like the mafia like his personal yeah. seat of power but then the pope did have a lot more power back then he could say who could be king and who, who who could rule what country depending on what country it is if you still follow the catholic church and he could send armies into other countries if he disapproved <laughs> of them so yeah catholics mm. had a lot of power but probably not not so much now anyway back to exorcisms back to exorcisms <laughs> indeed i will also say while we're chatting about this that yeah. uh, you you listeners out there hi might uh-huh. have noticed that um yaz is being oh, yeah. really weirdly quiet <laughs> but it's because she's not here because it's her birthday so she's how old is she 45 49 i think yeah. 49 this year um <laughs> so she's out she's doing one of those like happy rebirthing things where you go out into the woods and go like climb through two trees that are quite close together, well covered in lamb's blood. So she'll be back next week though. Yeah, and then she'll she'll look about thirty six, which is probably what her actual age is. <laughs> well, it's, it's the lamb's blood that does it. I mean, Sharon Osborne, she gets um, lamb placenta facials, and I think she, she looks good for her age. She's had a lot. And she's of younger than Yaz, so. Actually, look, I thought she looked quite good with her grey hair, and then she's dyed it red again. But whatever. Yeah, I mean, but yes, I you're right. Exorcisms. Let's talk about that. Anyway, happy birthday, Yaz. Happy, happy birthday, Yaz. You golden goddess. She is a golden goddess. What was it? What was it? Andy McCune described her as a caramel skin to a temptress. Yeah, she's also a caramel skin temptress. She would never be possessed by demons. She actually slays demons in her spare time. That's probably what she's going to do the rest of the week. Exorcist, Mark, do you know Exorcist. of any? Do you know of any famous exorcisms? I mean, there's, I don't know. There's none that I know specifically. I do know of the one in America. It was like a 12-year-old boy that inspired the exorcist. The guy yeah, who I know exorcist. like a little about that one and then there's all the i feel like there's a it's a very similar thing like all your sort of famous based on a true story exorcism films 
seem to take the whole sort of exorcist path where it's based on but they've changed the character name and their location and so there's like a link but it's not exactly the same well what i just recently learned is funnily enough about the exorcist film which i will not watch again because twice when i've watched it weird shit has happened to me now i don't i'm quite skeptical but i'm not going to try a third time okay i'm not going to take the risk Sorry. No, with all the, the fire damage from the last two times, I think the third time you'll catch fire and that would well, be quite no, upsetting. Well, the second time I tried to watch it, I felt like my one of my legs got really, really hot and was about to burst into flames to the point where I was, like, screaming, going, oh, and then I had to look away. David was asleep, but I think I woke him up because I was screaming, like, my legs on fire. <laughs> and then eventually it went away, but it was really freaky. So I don't really want to try that again. But then part of me, like I said in the last podcast, wants to sort of test it because I have like um, a self-destruct button in my mind somewhere that just wants to push things to see how I far mean, go. Like, I don't want you to explode in flames, but also <laughs> it would be quite cool if people were like, how's Leslie? And I was like, oh, you, you didn't hear. She watched The Exorcist and burst into flames. Spontaneously combust. And how are you? <laughs> And then rose from the ashes like a phoenix. Ooh, like a demonic <laughs> phoenix. Yeah, I just ended up with black wings that I had to hide. Um, oh, I don't know. Shall I tell you like a, a oh, less was, famous short exorcism? Before you do that, well, my point was, I was just going to fit, because I got on a side tangent there. Um, is it, you know how in the film The Exorcist, she's Ooh, possessed yes. by someone called Captain, well, she she talks to someone in a, a Ouija board called Captain Howdy, but turns out the, the name of the demon that possesses her is called Pazuzu, or yes. Pazuzu. I learned, you probably already know this, but I actually learned that that's a real demon, but it's not a Christian demon. It's a pre-Christian Mesopotamian demon who actually exists, well, in their religion, actually existed in their culture, which I thought was really weird. Yeah, I, I remember reading that somewhere. Can't remember where. And then I think it's, again, I think it links back to what we were talking about last week, was they're not kind of links when Christianity took over in certain areas of the whole sort of idea of Pazuzu and relating him to the devil and maybe that's how we eventually yeah. got the idea of somebody being possessed by Pazuzu. But then I don't possessed get how Pazuzu. the Catholic Church have any authority over Pazuzu since he's not he's not really a devil or a Christian or anything so why would the power of Christ compel him unless yeah, the power fair of point. compels like, everything? The power of Christ compels you, you'd be like eh, bitch I was born like ages before Christ I don't give a shit. <laughs> Which would right, also so be a good line from a demon. Who were you going to talk about then? Sorry for a wee down. Uh, I was going to talk about Patri- the um, Litchfield exorcism, which was the possession of Patricia Redding, mm-hmm. um, which is apparently a fairly famous one. I actually found this because I found a really hilarious website that was linking, like, so that people could read about possessions, but it was like a Christian website that was obviously implying that they were real and people had to be very careful. And Patricia's <laughs> was one of the ones that came up in here that was like, it was an American website and it said, obviously you'll know about the Litchfield exorcism. It's quite a famous case. And I was like, oh, I don't know. So then I started researching the Litchfield exorcism. Where's Litchfield? So, uh, it's in Connecticut. Oh, I don't know why. I just thought it was in England. For some reason. It sounds English, doesn't it? Yeah, it or does. I suppose Connecticut sounds, no, it doesn't. I've gone mad. Anyway, <laughs> in 1983, <laughs> Patricia moved to Litchfield in Connecticut. She was living elsewhere in the US before that. I'm going to call her Pat for the rest of the story because that's what her daughter called her. So Pat reported that in early 1983, she began to hear banging on the walls of her new house and what sounded like somebody wandering around upstairs when she was home alone. At first, this like worried her because she thought there was someone upstairs, but she eventually established that there wasn't. And then over time, the movement changed from being a sort of faint wandering upstairs 
to the same sort of noise but more regularly and like heavy footsteps but it would be in the walls or the ceiling or the floor so basically like as though someone was walking on the underside of her house and then walking like into the wall cavity and up the way which you know is terrifying (laughs) did they say she was walking up the walls like a lizard yeah but like on the inside if you know what i mean so like if she was standing in the kitchen she could hear someone stomping about oh so it wasn't oh okay no no i get you so then this basically continued this would happen all the time other people reported that yeah they were around at pat's house and there'd be all this stamping going on but like in the walls or under the floor uh, and then as we move snakes? into... Could be snakes or rats or... It could be, I suppose, or raccoons. Demonic cocoons. But cocoon. I'd say as we go on, it's probably not raccoons. So right. as we move into the greatest year in the history of time, 1984... Um, and I was born Furniture... That's why. Furniture then begins to move about her house by itself. Again, this was witnessed by other people, so that's less raccoony. Objects also flew at Pat off of tables, so sometimes she'd be like getting her daughter ready for school... And, like, she'd have the breakfast dishes still sitting out and, like, one of the bowls would just fly out in the back of her head. Or she'd have friends around. Yeah, very much so. Or she'd have friends around and be, like, making tea and would, like, put the cups out and then the cup would just, like, fly off the table and smash off her. (laughs) So it all seemed to be targeted at Pat, not her daughter, not any guests in the house. (laughs) Um, She also said that when she was alone, quite often unseen hands would push her over and then prod at her, like, hurting her. I hate it when Um, that happens. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Fortunately, it normally happens to me when I'm with other people so they can help me up. But um... <laughs> So one morning towards the end of 1984, she awoke to find that her bed was covered in blood. And at first she thought that because there was so much blood, the blood had been like poured over her bed sheets. And then as she got up out of the bed... It's not a heavy period or anything. That was also my exact thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she got up out of bed to like obviously clean up and check what was happening. I think by this time she was used to the poltergeist. So she was just like, obviously the poltergeist has got blood from somewhere and poured it all over me. And she realised that her back had massive deep slashes down it in several places. Yeah. And that actually she was effectively like bleeding to death. Oh, shit. So she had to go and get stitches and a blood transfusion. And over the next few weeks, she was unable to sleep after these gashes had appeared in her back. So they'd been stitched up, but every night when she was going to bed, she could hear inaudible whispering, but it was like it was coming from, again, that weirdness of the earlier bit, like inside of her ears, if that makes sense, instead of outside. So it would almost sound head. like it was whispering like in her face. Like, rather if, than... you can't, like if you pick up radio signals and you're feelings. Yes. Not like a radio signal to hell. And whenever she did manage to nod off, she would wake up with her scalp bleeding and with hair oh. ripped from her scalp um, or was bitten and left with like tooth marks, basically bitten awake again. Um, so obviously she started to become sleep deprived. So a few weeks after being after her back being cut open, she had complete sleep deprivation and she began to have prolonged episodes each day where, to quote her daughter, she said, her mum, Pat, would scream would just randomly start so they'd just be like in the kitchen making lunch and pat would start screaming like gutturally and then would jerk violently backwards like all of her limbs would jerk violently backwards so that would obviously knock her onto the floor and then she would lose complete control of her body and start writhing about so that sounds that part sounds familiar to the the guy that like the exorcism i saw happen on youtube i think that seems to be the sort of fairly common connective like they seem to have like actual demonic strength that people try and hold them back but 
like a slight woman or someone who's not very strong normally has so much strength that they can just launch themselves out of chair and it takes every like takes three four men to push them back down yeah I, I just and I, they I, have I, the yeah the again all the ones i looked at they have like a strange it doesn't sound like their voice it, sound, it almost sounds like there's like two or three voices and they're speaking at once I don't know if that happens with Pat. No, that's the other one that I looked at that's like a lot more detailed, which we'll okay. come back to. And yeah. um, like, again, that matches up with what you're saying. But with Pat, there wasn't the multiple voices, but definitely like the like jerking and the con- loss of control and the guttural noises. And this is why this one's a fairly short one. The actual exorcism mm. itself isn't a long story, but I thought the build up to it was really interesting. So okay. after all this happened and she was basically, she was Catholic, so she was back and forth to our local priest and he's kind of contacted the Vatican to say that he was planning to conduct an exorcism. Now, from what I can see, he was discouraged from doing this. They basically said that they didn't want him to do that, that it wasn't something he should do. But at her request, over the period of two weeks, he performed 16 separate exorcisms on her. Well, not just him. So he also contacted other uh, members of the church that were in neighbouring states, and some of them agreed. So altogether, between this priest and other priests, there were 16 different exorcisms performed on her over the period of 14 days. And these, basically, she would, like, writhe and jerk yep. and injure herself during these. Mm. But there was no difference whatsoever. Nothing was successful. Uh, the church itself said that they're, like, basically said that they didn't perform exorcisms, which confuses me because I know that they do. But um, the church said they didn't <laughs> perform exorcisms and they didn't approve of this. And nothing well, maybe ever improved for her. Maybe. Um, but there was never any improvement. That None of the exorcisms changed anything. And basically this all continued, all of this, for another three years. And then, sadly, she died oh, um, really suddenly uh, of cancer um, when she'd been examined they found out that she had basically like a really rapid aggressive form of cancer and she died of it do you um, think maybe that affected her brain in some way that i don't know that doesn't really explain all the blood and unless she did it to herself in her sleep or something that's what i was wondering like maybe she, she was having some sort of neurological issues related to the cancer and although it hadn't been picked up on it was causing those issues and maybe she was ripping her own hair out biting herself scratching her own back open and yeah makes me think that if she'd gone for medical help instead of to the church yeah maybe she could have been treated which is quite tragic yeah and then it would make sense as well because if it was some sort of cancer that was affecting her brain then like that whole sort of upside downness if you want Mm -hmm. like that seems to connect to neurological problems so maybe she was hearing like her own footsteps but delayed and in the wrong place and maybe she was hearing voices but they were yeah that seems more logical to me than, than possessed by demons I mean, I suppose you could say cancer is a bit of a, a demon itself because yeah. it sort of like takes over your, it possesses your cells and kills you. But yeah, there, no amount of priests were going to cure that. And the whole time that they were doing the exorcisms and all that shit, like I don't understand why she didn't seek medical help earlier unless yeah. just in her mind she just kept thinking it was demonic or I don't know why she put up with it for so long. That's what I was thinking when you were telling me that story is like, how, at what point do you think I should seek help here? I suppose so. <laughs> If it started with her losing control of her body, you would immediately mm. seek medical help. But maybe because it started with the sounds in the wrong place and then the like waking up with like cuts and stuff, because that seems so, as you said, like poltergeist behavior, then maybe if you've already convinced yourself it's a poltergeist, then once you start losing control of your body, I can see why you would assume the poltergeist had possessed you instead of assuming that but it was then, something medical. Those priests were negligent because and i think maybe that's why they tried to hush it up because they're supposed to seek medical like i said earlier they're supposed to seek 
like a doctor to examine the person first before yeah. they conduct an exorcism. So had they done that, they may have found a cancer and cause like, of what was happening to her. It would make sense for us to kind of move on to yours now, wouldn't yeah. it? Because that was what, when they said like the Catholic yeah. Church wouldn't perform an exorcism, but obviously you've been yeah. looking into the fact that the Catholic Church have performed exorcisms. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm going to talk about is there's a guy who is the chief, well, he was the Vatican's chief exorcist, and he says he's dealt with demons 60,000 times. But he didn't start his role as uh, an exorcist until he was like in his 60s, and sort of like, I think it was 1992, because he had a, a mentor. He's called, he was called Father Gabriel Armour, and he was appointed the chief exorcist to the Vatican. Oh, let me just get like... He's got a whole big life story. So he was born in 1925 and he initially, like, because he grew up in Italy, there was, like, you know, the whole fascism thing with Mussolini. Yeah. Initially he was on the, the in the army of the fascists, but then he defected to a resistance uh, who were part of, like, the Catholic Church or something and he fought against the fascists. So that's why I think he's a cool guy. So he knows how to, like, so this is a guy who knows how to, like, shoot guns and machine guns and things. He knows warfare. So he's pretty badass. And then later on, he joined a, like a, a Catholic political party. And then in the 50s, he decided to just join the, the Catholic Church and become a priest. So he just went about his, his business as a priest, blah, 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 until like one day in like the, 90, the, the late 80s, he was asked to partner up with this other guy. I can't remember his name. Cardin- Cardinale or something he was called, who was the last, the, the current chief exorcist of the Vatican at the time. But he was ailing his health was ailing and so they thought well he needs an apprentice we need someone to train up a new exorcist so that's what he did he then became so his method was that he has like a purple sash like a long purple sash and he drapes it around his shoulders and then he drapes it around the shoulder of the possessed person and then what he does is he just like and he does incantation. He thumbs his nose as well at the demon to piss it off, to say you're nothing. I feel like that would <laughs> work better than to... shouting the power of Christ compels you. Well, because, yeah, like, basically I'm sure ancient demons would still be pissed off with you, like making rude gestures at them. He said one of the times when he was conducting an exorcist was in 1997 he was visited by a young italian man he only the man only spoke italian so we had the translator with him but the spirit inside him spoke perfect english so he said when when farver armoff began the exorcism in latin he mentioned jesus and at that moment the man turned to the priest and stared at him before yelling curses and threats in english and spitting at him and trying to attack him however the demon went silent for a second when the exorcist got to the prayer Precipio TB, I command you. There was a guy called Marcel Stanzioni, who was a fellow Catholic priest who worked with Farber Armov. I think he, see, they don't have an apprentice, like, they don't currently have a chief exorcist in the Catholic Church now, because I thought, well, he died in 2016. Who's next chief exorcist? But yeah. it turns out they were doing a sort of X factor for exorcists in the Catholic <laughs> Church, where they opened up an exorcism school. And they were looking for like two, I think 250 priests applied for it to learn how to be an exorcist, basically. So they were looking for exorcisms got talent or something, which I don't think they've chosen anyone yet, but it's interesting. Oh, we have interesting guest judges every week, like <laughs> the Pope, the Chief Cardinal and Emma Bunton from the Spice Girls. 
<laughs> so the possessed man carried on shrieking, twisted his head back, his eyes rolling back into his head and his back arched. The room became so cold that ice crystals formed on the windows and walls. This is according to this priest. A few minutes later, the young man's body stiffened and began levitating, hovering in the air before collapsing down into a chair. Now, Farber, Faber Arbaf says that, Armoff says that he'd only seen levitation in all his 30 years of um, exorcisms like twice so that's obviously one of them and before he died in 2016 film director of the exorcist william friedkin was allowed to film him performing a real exorcism which made him for apparently his first person to actually film and at him conducting an exorcism and this is the one that i watched on youtube and it actually is quite interesting but at the same time i don't know whether it is weird it's very weird but it's not like her head spinning or anything or she's like swaying like green pea soup out or anything like that she more just sort of like foams at the mouth a little bit and just looks a bit angry yeah she does have a really really strange voice coming out of her but whether that's just she goes into a trance as well so afterwards as well like when he was done she sort of looks okay and then has a wee cup of tea like it was Like she'd no memory of what happened. So I find that a bit weird. But there's a woman in her late 30s called Christina and she shouts in a voice that doesn't sound human. Apparently, like the Farber Armar claims that the reason why she was cursed is because her brother and his friend cursed her because they were part of a satanic cult. Well, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> I mean, I'd gladly join a satanic cult, but I'm not going to curse John. Like, it's mean. <laughs> <laughs> He's all right. So Friedkin said that like he says he's agnostic but he said that the experience was terrifying and that he went to like neurosurgeons and psychiatrists with the film and they they said well he was expecting them to say oh that's all bullshit and give them like medical explanations but even then they were just like well that's really powerful there is obviously something weird going on there but i can't explain it in terms of like psychiatric ways like that, that they, they he was really surprised that they actually gave credence to the possibility that yeah. there's some weird happening with that woman but unfortunately the, i think he'd met with her like nine nine times already and then all of a sudden she refused to meet with him um the, but he was like 92 at this point and william freakin said can i meet up with you while you're to this woman can i meet up with you while you're like normal while you're not being exercised and she's like yeah okay but then she sort of messed him around and they eventually met up in this Italian town. He went to this church and when he entered the church she was like writhing, she was like being held down on a chair and she was like basically shouting and screaming expletives and stuff and acting all weird and aggressive while her boyfriend held her down and then next thing she's on the floor wrestling him and stuff and then he, he, her mother starts to say to Frequent, I want you to give us the film, I don't want you to show it because he's making this for a documentary I don't want you to show this um, because it will encourage people like to see what satan does or satan will get out there and he's like no i'm not giving you my fucking film you fuck off <laughs> also like the idea that like satan's like the wee girl from the ring like yeah. if you watch a video that's got satan in it then you're with satan in you but all this time the the christina who's like still shouting supposedly in a possessed way is shouting no no i want him to release the film he must release it like all the while her mum's going you better not release this film or we'll sue you and Farver Armath. But by the time um, he went back to try and speak to Farmer Armath, he just that he was like dying of pneumonia. So he died in like 2016. So he never got to finish the exorcism, which in 
exorcism laws, you're supposed to carry on with the exorcism until it is done. You can't just leave it halfway through. He also said he's written several novels, like novels. <laughs> I say novels like it's all fiction. <laughs> he's written several books about his time as being um, an exorcist. So I'm thinking, well, maybe he's, is he getting off on the fame? Or uh, he said that the exorcism, the exorcist film, was quite good because it brought more attention to exorcisms and not in a sort of jokey way but i don't know gave but it then more if there's only like closure. a limited number of people that can carry exorcisms out then what's the point in bringing more attention to them i don't know maybe it just looked he felt like it validated his job or something I suppose, actually yeah fair play to and then um, he also <laughs> but this is where I, I sort of disagree with him he said that the pedophilia problem in the Catholic Church was because of the devil and that Satan had taken over the world, basically, and infected everyone. And also that, that Harry Potter was bad for kill, for children. It led them towards Satan. I don't agree with either of those statements. <laughs> I agree that pedophilia is a great evil in the world, but I don't think that the pedophiles are blameless and we can blame a like fictional character. I think, I think Satan would be disgusted with the pedophiles in the church. So yeah. I don't think he'd want anything to do with them. Harry Potter was real. I think he would also disapprove of pedophiles. Hermione certainly would. She seems sound. <laughs> well, I, I just thought it was really interesting. And he said that he'd, con- he'd conducted so many exorcisms. And I guess he genuinely believes that he was doing good. But again, it, like there's still exorcisms taking place in the Catholic Church, except like now they're just trying to train maybe loads of different priests instead of just one, like in a master and an apprentice that though, thing. Is that to try and distract them from buggering boys? I don't know. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> so what was your final one that you were going to talk about? Uh, so I was going to talk about a Lutheran exorcism. Um, oh, yeah. The we can't blame the evil there on pedophiles. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we can blame all evil on pedophiles, but this one doesn't have a pedophile in it. Um, so I looked at the exorcism of George Lukens. Uh, which is the Yatin exorcism, which I say as though you know Yatin well. Yatin, a parish town that doesn't exist anymore uh, in Somerset, uh, oh, which took place. Well, so George Lockins was born in 1743, oh. and George grew up to be a local tailor and also an actor. Uh, he was very well liked, and he was an active member of the Lutheran Church. And from what I read about him, he seemed like a generally all right guy. Like, I think we'd both like to go out and hang out with him. He seemed quite sound. Um, in 1769. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's basically the like Amdram guy that fashion. But then you've tricked my and... sort of ears up here because you said he's an actor. Mate, I don't know what story you're going to go on to say. It could be completely irrelevant. But if he's an actor, is he acting possessed? That was my, to be fair, all the way through it. I was like, mm, right. is he just doing this for attention? Because... Mm. You know, we've hung about with many people that do Amdram in our time, especially when we were younger, and they would totally pretend to be possessed if someone looked at them. But either way, into Amdram, likes fashion, enjoyed drinking lots of wine, our kind of guy. Uh, so in 1769, after a play, uh, Lukens had a night of party with his acting troupe and a friend named Mr. Love. So Mr. Love lived Mr. in Love. Yatton and had like Mr. Love. That's <laughs> how you have to say his name. And he lived in like a massive house there and he was he threw all these wild parties. So they basically all went and got smashed. And in the early hours of the morning, George passed out. But apparently his friends were unconcerned because George often passed out from drinking. <laughs> He's just that kind of guy. <laughs> However, when he came to, he claimed that, and this relates to the, the whole Patricia thing. So he claimed that an unseen force had pushed him to the ground and then hit him over the head, knocking him unconscious. Mm. Mates were all like, aye, Grant, good story, pal. 
and took him home and obviously he was hung over the next day so a few days later he was still feeling a bit groggy which again makes it sound like a really good party and he had his first of many fits that he had in his life so again same thing that you were saying about lots of these cases that's what i was thinking he and also the fact that because he felt that bang in his head i thought well maybe he did actually fall over from being drunk like we've all done that and been like but if he smacked his head on the wall hard enough and he already had like a like pre-existing neurological condition like yeah am i right in thinking that that can i think that can be a trigger for it like if you know what i mean it can already exist but that well yeah because one of my friends had a really bad fall in a shower cut her back up really bad and then that triggered an epileptic fit and she'd never had epilepsy before then so bad falls if you bang your head really hard off of something or bad falls can trigger epilepsy it's not one of the causes of but like because my mom has epilepsy she's had epilepsy since she was 12 but that wasn't that wasn't because she fell over it was just because it it was just somehow it just somehow came to be when she yeah, was like 12. the fall doesn't cause it but it yeah. can trigger, trigger it, it if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah um, so that was the first time he'd ever had to fit was a couple of days later and then similarly to what we described before he began to basically he said that whenever it started it always started in his right hand so his right hand would start to spasm and then shortly after his right hand started to spasm, his whole body would seize up. Mm-hmm. So after a few weeks where he'd had several fits, he began to communicate with pe- people mid-fit, but he communicated in a variety of voices, and obviously there's no recordings of it, it was 1743, <laughs> but friends and family said that the voices clearly didn't belong to him. The voices they identified were, one, a guttural voice that when people asked it who it was claimed to be the devil, and shouted that it commanded its workers to torture George. Sometimes he would bark like a dog. There was also another voice that was a singer, a male singer, but it wasn't George's voice. It was a different male voice. Uh, There was also a voice that people said was distinctly not effeminate, but female um, Mm -hmm. singing. And there was a terrifying voice, more terrifying than that of the one that claimed to be the devil, that would sing Lutheran hymns, but it would sing them backwards like not phonetically backwards but like each word backwards Mm -hmm. without messing a beat so it would sing them like perfectly backwards without having to think about it so these occurrences would take place as time went on seven days a week multiple times a day Mm. he did manage to continue to work and the lutheran church paid for him to have medical treatment so they were actually getting him to regularly see a physician because they assumed that it was a medical problem and because he was a member of the church they were paying for him to have the treatment so in may 1775 he hadn't made any improvements and the church paid for him to attend St George's Hospital he was in St George's Hospital and they didn't release him for five months they observed him every day for five months and the doctors that worked on him there as well as the nurses that were there the like ward hands everyone said that there was no he didn't have a single fit from the day he arrived until the day he was discharged and they never heard any unnatural sounds or voices come out of him and George himself actually agreed with this and said, yeah, like from the day I arrived in the hospital, I felt fine. He felt fine until the day he left. So he left um, at the end of October in 1775 and he travelled home. And the next day, his first day of return to home, he had a fit again. Aww. So over a period of several years, the fits became fewer and fewer until 1787 when he was rarely having them. But then all of a sudden they became more severe again. George uh-huh. became convinced that this was because and this was communicated to him in a dream he was possessed by six demons and possessed by the devil himself so he believed that there were seven other entities occupying his body 
Which is something that Farber Armaf said that when he was conducting exorcisms that some demons could be like there could be up to eighty of them or legions of them inside one person. And they all have different voices and things. So that is Which something that like adds up with the descriptions that his friends mm-hmm. gave of all the different voices and how varied they were. Or it could so, be multiple personality disorder. In 1788, the Reverend Easterbrook of the Bristol Lutherans invited George so that he could observe his possession. So George went to stay with a friend of the Reverend Easterbrook and met the Reverend Easterbrook. And this time was different from the last time. So the daily fits continued and the voices continued and he was able to observe it all. And he said that he believed that he was definitely possessed. However, had to get, according to Lutheran rules, three other reverends who were trained in exorcism and possession to agree that George needed an exorcism. So he invited three other reverends and they all worked with George and they all agreed that he was definitely possessed, that the only way to get rid of the demons was to take part in an exorcism. However, all three while being trained in exorcisms refused to take part because they said that it was too dangerous and too many people died and were injured during exorcisms. After some time, Reverend Easterbrook had managed to gather the assistance of six other reverends and the assistance of eight members of the public that he knew to exorcise the demons out of George. During the exorcism, George was responding in various voices. When he was responding in the guttural voice, uh, one of the other reverends, not Easterbrook, asked him who he was and the voice responded, I am the devil. And when he asked what it wanted, it stated, uh, I have taken George. I have taken George so that I can show my power over men. It said that it would never let go of George. Again, that's a quote. It said, I will never let go of George. And it said, I will, because of the exorcism, it said, because of them trying to conduct an exorcism, it was going to increase George's pain sevenfold. And it would never quit its hold of George. As the exorcism went on and they tried to, and this is my favourite bit of the story, as the exorcism (laughs) went on and they tried to cast out this voice that they believed to be the devil, the female voice that George sometimes sang in took over. And she began to mock each of the men gathered because all of the reverends were obviously men and the eight like members of the public that were helping were male as uh-huh. well. She began to mock each of them individually and <laughs> then shouted at them all that uh, um, entertained her how ridiculous and useless they all were. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and, except for one of them who she hadn't insulted and then singled him out and began to sing him a love song. Oh. <laughs> Now, obviously, my wish would be for uh, the five other demons and the devil to leave George's body and for this woman to take control of George's body and for him and the man that she'd singled out as her love to, to yeah. go off together into the sunset. But sadly, that's not what happened. Um, oh. The exorcism continued. Uh-huh. And at the end of the exorcism, after they'd gone through each one of the spirits, including the dog spirit, George seemed completely calm and serene, like you said with uh, Christine. Seemed very, very calm, very, very serene. And he said that he praised Jesus and then went to quietly pray. Now, the Lutheran records at the time are very, very clear that, you know, George was fine, George was cured, that was George back to normal, he went on to live a a happy life. However, it's actually unclear what happened next because there aren't really any further recordings of George's actual life. So there's no recording of George having any other fits. However, there aren't really any records of anything else to do with George either. There's not even a date of death or a death certificate for George. Now, he definitely existed. There's birth certificates for him. There's records of the like church paying for his hospital visit and so on. That's odd. But there's no... That's odd. So do you think maybe they covered it up? 
Well, it's really happened. interesting because he returned to uh, oh, Yatin and his brother was like quite a prominent member of the community in Yatin. Mm. So it seems very strange that, yeah, there was no record of this. And again, as I say, there was, no, there was no death date or so on. However, there is one record of him that exists after the exorcism, but it was a record from when he was between 50 and 51. And it was just a record that was kind of like a census record. And it recorded George's uh, profession as a beggar just outside of oh, Yatin. And that's, that's the only sad. thing of him after it. So I don't know whether you're right and they've the church have actually killed him and they've covered it up and said that. And then when the census came, have put down that he was a, a beggar outside of Yatin to kind of explain why he wasn't there. Or if he actually did return to the village, but obviously wasn't able to return to his normal or, life. And it's just that they've said that he was. Yeah, or, or he did wander off and he was a beggar and then he maybe forgot who he was or something and then he died and then he was just put in a pauper's grave and there wasn't actually a proper death certificate for him because they didn't know that that was George. He was just yeah. some random beggar. That's probably a more plausible explanation. And I think, again, that really points towards some sort of like neurological condition that wasn't treated. Yeah. Like the fact that it would come and go and sometimes it would be for days and sometimes it would be for months and sometimes it would be for years, sometimes mm-hmm. it would be absent for months. And if he was able to kind of appear calm to them after that, but then never really return to be a fully functioning member of society, it kind of indicates that there was like a health condition going on there that no one was treating him for, which is really sad as well when you think, like, as I said, his brother was a really prominent member of the Yatin community and was really sort of well off and well respected and mm-hmm. obviously George was like a prominent member of the church and they were really wealthy and had all these links with doctors and so on so yeah it's quite a, a sad story again. I really think I mean to let the Protestants off at least they tried to give him medical help that he needed and everything they yeah, didn't just true. automatically assume that he was possessed by demons it was George that insisted on it and they probably just tried their best to, to help him as much as they could but, but what can you do you can't really cure something like that No. Um, like to go back to my mum, like with the epilepsy thing, when I was wee, she would have attack. When she would have an attack, she would turn her head, like her neck, her head would turn as much as it would go, like towards her back, and her eyes would go like up inside her head, and she would just repeat the word no, no, no constantly. And to a wee girl, that would be terrifying. And if yeah. someone who didn't know what epilepsy was, they might think that's a possession. And <laughs> to go back to the chief exorcist of the Vatican. One of the things he said that, which I thought was a bit mad, but he said that if someone who's been exercised has their eyes, if their eyes, if they try and close their eyes, then they're trying to hide, like, from the prayers. So he opens their eyes, and if their eyes are looking up towards the, the sky and you can see the whites of their eyes that way, it means they're possessed by scorpions. And that, <laughs> and that if, when they open their eyes, and they're looking down, and you can see the whites of their eyes, it means they're possessed by um, serpents. I don't know where he's getting that from. No. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, I can't, sorry, that's so weird, I can't even hazard a guess as to what he's on about. I mean, they said that... So the there are no demons, thing, there's just serpents and scorpions. Well, the serpent thing goes back to, like, Adam and Eve, yeah. like, the, the serpent that tempted Eve, but the scorpions sort of, like, when I looked, about, looked into that, scorpions are sort of demons that are earlier than Christianity or go back to again Mesopotamian times so I don't know where he's, why he's bringing that in but I don't know it's, it's almost like I feel like quite a lot of the stuff from the Catholic Church implies that Christianity isn't real like they believe in <laughs> demons but not Christians it's just a front for them to get gold 
Possibly. That, I don't know. What, well, that was a question I asked. Did he actually pay the priests to Is there a fee for exorcisms? But he didn't mention that. So I don't know whether he does it just because that's his job for the goodness of their like their spirituality or their, their souls. I don't know. Overall, what do you think about exorcisms? Do you think it's genuine or do you think it's harmful? Because I'm, I'm on the side of I think it's absolute bullshit. But if that's what people think that they need, maybe if you're religious and someone doesn't exorcise an exorcism then your belief will cure you that's what some of the psychiatrists says it's like if it we can't really help the overly religious people because they believe they're possessed by demons so if you get a priest in and they're doing the jesus thing then that actually psychologically makes the person think that they are getting help i don't know i'm, I'm kind of erring on the same side as you but even further along it i think it's a load of bullshit and i think right. it's i don't think it helps people because I get what you mean, but I think psychologically, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's any of the ones that we've discussed were caused by psychological issues. I think they were caused by neurolo- neurological issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you can't, you can't placebo neurological issues away. You need. And some people have died as a result of yeah. zealous exorcisms. Ridiculous. Like, and again, possibly George. And even if he didn't die as a result of it, I think his life was obviously ruined by as a result of it. I so. think he just had one too many, had a bit of a bad one, a bad sesh, banged his head, and it just all went downhill from there. For yeah. The demon drink. That's what got to George. He was he Except for the lady hard. demon who again I believe in. The rest of them were fake, but she's real. <laughs> just because I like that she's like you have a big shiny face and everybody hates you and you're a fat fuck and <laughs> you're absolute tit. everyone's laughing at you behind your back and you well you're a sexy bitch let me thing you down <laughs> big fan of that demon oh that's lovely <laughs> if you were to be possessed by anyone it would be that sassy demon yeah so... I would want to be possessed by the, the sexy songstress demon I was thinking for next week's podcast I know you've got your your list but i was thinking about things that are lost at sea Ooh. would that intrigue you or do you want that to do the... me. i believe that was my intrigue noise okay because <laughs> um, i was reading a story about um a ship that supposedly was found and all the crew were dead but i don't want to get into it because it's spoilers but I would, i'd like what do you think do you think we sh- does that sound cool Yes, I'm into that. Okay, lost at sea so yeah um maybe we could look at the Bermuda triangle and stuff to do with the scene. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> so that would be that would be great fun. Um so if anyone wants to look more into the uh, the exorcism that I was mentioned um by that Vatican priest, then you can just look it up on YouTube. It's there. Like I would seriously watch it, Mark, and see like let me know what you think. Um, I'd be I interested. Yeah. I'll feedback um, you next week. Yeah, please do. I I'll, 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 I'll send you a link. That, but I'll do it on this because that'll be interesting. I'll post a link to the exorcism on our YouTube page and our Twitter if anyone wants to have a look at that, which is Crystal Myth or podcast underscore myth uh, on Twitter. So have a butchers at that. So, yeah, that's fun. And hopefully Yasmin will be back next week and I'll let her know that she's to look at things that are lost at sea. I'm sure that will be a problem. No, I think she'll be fine with that. <laughs> well, I would sing you a love song, Mark, but uh, I'm not very good at singing. Yeah, I'm trying to decide what her love song would be, but mm-hmm. I'd quite like it if maybe it was like just a bit shit and she wasn't a good singer. She was like, oh, you over there, sexy priest, looking at me. <laughs> there we go, that's her love song. I'm in love with you and I know that you want me. Sexy ghost love song. I'm more 
along the lines that he sounded like one of those castrati men. Have you ever heard one of them? Yes. Well, and also, not... to be fair, that would make quite a lot more sense if people were saying he's not just effeminate, he sounded like a woman. I don't know why the voice I chose was like, hello, I'm a sexy woman. No, I like Babs Cats from <laughs> <laughs> League of Gentlemen. <laughs> Maybe that's how he convinced them. If they were yeah. like, why are you talking in that effeminate voice? He was like, this ain't no effeminate voice, I'm a lady. And they were like, he sounded just like a lady. <laughs> oh, well, on that note, I'm going to say bye, and we'll see to you all next week. All right? Bye. bye. Happy Yaz's birthday, everyone. Happy Yaz. Chris, so, men.